You're listening to Rock, Pop, and Roll. Rock, Pop, and Roll into this episode, into the uh, Minneapolis sound. Prince and beyond. This is actually part three. If you missed the first two, go back to rockpopandroll.com. That's our clearinghouse. We've got all the links, all the shows, the blog, all of it there. So if you want to go back and listen to an old episode, that's where that's that's the best. That's where I tell friends to go. So in episode one, we talked about Prince a lot and how he had his how his sound incorporated so many different influences from uh, guitar, rock and roll to funk to R and B. Episode two, we did we did a little more with Prince and how it tied into some of these bands that came out of. That came out of Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, Minnesota, the state. Didn't sound like Prince, but how he was influenced by them. They were influenced by him. And how that weaved together. On this episode, we've got the biggest selling band that came out of Minneapolis. Maybe not the critics' darling. I like them. My favorite Minnesota band. And we'll also give you a band that you need to, you need to hear. Uh, and then some Twin Cities punk done right and righteously. Soul Asylum. Oh, I like Soul Asylum. Some people don't. I don't I I don't know why. I don't know if they consider them a sellout. They didn't stay punk, but they 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 really did. They had three albums on Twin Tone Records and a couple with AM Records. They had that bar band swagger. Like the other Minneapolis bands that we're talking about. They paid a lot of those late night night after night dues in the rock clubs and in the in the van tours but that changed in 1992 for soul asylum I'm waiting by the phone waiting for you to call me up and tell me I'm not alone waiting by the phone waiting remember that song do you uh, somebody to shove Soul Asylum went to number nine on rock radio. That was a number one alternative rock and roll hit. So th- this was the album that had somebody to shove. It also had a song that uh, was number four on the rock charts, number six on the alternative charts. This spot was a playground. This flat Not a hot 100 hit, but... But rocked. Soul Asylum still hadn't gotten as big as they were going to get because in June of 1993 they did hit the Hot 100. They did do some da- they did do some damage there. They won a Grammy Award uh, with this. The Grammy Award for Best Rock Song was a little thing called Runaway Train. Runaway train, never going back. Wrong way on a one-way track. Seems like I 
that, that was all over my radio. Little bass line. Uh, <laughs> they also, uh, I like Soul Asylum. They rock. And they, they continue to rock. They had, they had a platinum album that came after this one, an album called Let Your Dim Light Shine, three years after they released all these songs. That album went to number six, sold a million copies. Uh, Misery was a song that reached number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the modern rock charts. They worked with Nirvana and Foo Fighter producer Butch Vig on that album. Let's go back and let's, uh, let me get a little bit of that misery for you. For my dollar, that's still good. That's still really good. Now, founding member, bass player Carl Mueller, uh, was diagnosed with cancer in 2004. He passed away a year later. It was a band that they made it. They made it big enough to still be around today. Not really radio big, but kind of. You know, in the in the niches of the time, the rock radio and the alternative rock that existed at the same time in the early 90s, not the big, it's not like, not considered like the replacements. Critics love the replacements, don't they? And they're good, right? But Soul Asylum had some of that commercial success. Some guest musicians, including uh, replacement bassist Tommy Stenson, ironically, later joined the group as a permanent member. They had an album, Silver Lining, in 2006. He played on that. The band's next album was Delayed Reaction in 2012. Dan Murphy was a founding member. We'll talk about Dan a little bit here with another group. He left the group uh, in the early 2010s. Their most recent album was released in 2020. Their 12th studio album, Hurry Up and Wait. And one of the songs on there, still good. Wish I were with you Well here we go Shovel plowing through the snow And for that sound, that sound there's some replacements in there. There's a there's a band that well, I'm gonna talk about in just a second that they sound like it. It's Soul Asylum took all these influences just as we were talking about, just as uh, Prince took from them and they took from others uh, like them and and Prince. And it's just this weird, great, beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, and that's what happens, right? Musicians sound like their influences, but this is so regionalized uh, and so many good bands that are alike and different but use each other's sound in a great way. That's why. And I think that's probably why I decided, what is that Minnesota sound? Why am I going to do a podcast about it? What's that podcast going to really mean? What's it going to be about? And, and as we get through this, you know, it's the final part. It's part three. 
it feels like it is just the best of music and why we love it and and the influences that are the 60s into the 70s 80s 90s and beyond and when somebody goes back and, and and touches on one of those eras or one of those sounds and brings it into their own sound and that's the beauty of music is that it just keeps it changes but it's but it it's touch points to your youth it's touch points to places and visions that that's what music does that's why it's so magical that's why that's why we did this podcast that's why and I'm glad we did it there's a band my first exposure to the gear daddies was a cassette tape my great friend Randy Schweitzer an artist and high school teacher in Chicago he gave me this cassette tape i swear he sent it in the mail but he might have I might have seen him and he might have given it to me, but I didn't see Randy that much after uh, after I got out of college. He was at a different college, but I was roommates with one of his best friends. And we went to a Neil Young and the and Crazy Horse concert together back in 19, uh, I think it was 87. That was a great time. We went, he was along when we went to see the John Mellencamp show at Kobo Hall in Detroit, the Scarecrow Tour. Great, great show. That's Randy. So I, he gave me this cassette with his impeccable penmanship on it. He's an artist, all right? But I listened hard to it. I listened over and over because I heard Springsteen and I heard Middle America in the voice of a guy who was telling some truth in a band that sounded honest. To describe it that way sounds right to me. A rock and roll band with a voice. Martin Zeller sounds only like Martin Zeller. And it's a great thing. Deep and high and tilted thoughtful and smart i'm still in love with that band That's from their second album, Billy's Live Bait, Color of Her Eyes. Gear Daddy's an Americana rock and roll band from Austin, Minnesota, which is the southernmost. I looked this one up. I went to the maps, the Google Maps. It's the southernmost county, damn near Iowa, but it's Minnesota. And on the northwest corner of a rough square that is Minneapolis, about an hour and a half away. Des Moines, Iowa is two and a half away. Milwaukee's a four-hour drive. Chicago, a bit further than that. It's upper Midwest. Kansas City was the same distance for these guys as Chicago. So they lived in this little corner of the state, and you can feel the, the ruralness in this band. I can. It doesn't sound like the city. It sounds like it sounds like open spaces and, and small town and um, done right. Let's Go Scare Al was the first album that they recorded, released in 1988 on a little record label called Gark. Billy's Live Bait was the second album by the Gear Daddies. It got them on the David Letterman show. And they're on late night with David Letterman, so there's a level of success there. But 
But I'd argue that I that many people don't know who the Gear Daddies are. You need to know who the Gear Daddies are. There was a hidden track on that Billy's Life Bait album. A song called Zamboni became one of their best-known songs, often played at, ho- at hockey games uh, during intermission. I bet NHL teams, I don't go to NHL games. I don't know. I don't go to minor league hockey games. I love it. Respect it. They hit hard. I don't want to do it. Looks like you get really tired uh, as a hockey player. They don't keep all their teeth. I respect it. Do they still play this one? They should. But I might drive the Zamboni machine. I get that ice just as thick as could be. And all the kids would look up to me. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yeah. Yes, I do. The Gear Daddies can't have nothing nice. Was their final album had some new songs on it, live versions of some older songs, uh, some new songs that had never been released on an album. They played it live. It was a concert uh, released in 1992. And uh, of all the bands I've seen, I have not seen the Gear Daddies. There's a little bit of video out there. Um, they still hit the road. They're still all together. Four guys that started in 19. 19- uh, ninety, yeah, nineteen eighty four. So uh, damn near forty years together, uh, and the live stuff that you hear on CD or on Spotify or however, you, however you decide to get your music, still has that, still has that Gear Daddy's power. This is a, this is a, a, a darkness on the edge of town era sound for them, a little Springsteenish from that album a song called Strength so they still get together they still play songs Zeller did go out and, and go solo performing as himself and in a band that he named Martin Zeller in the hard ways took along his bass player from the Gear Daddies Released Born Under in 1995, his debut album. 1996, he released a, an album with the band Martin Zeller and the Hard Ways and uh, had a tune called Lie to Me on that that I love. Had a couple more albums, 98 and 2000. The album in 2000 was called Two Guitars, Bass, and Drums, an excellent live recording in front of a in front of a fired-up crowd, He and he dug back on that album. Am I talking too much about the Gear Daddies? I'm sorry. I love the Gear Daddies. I'm about done uh, with them, and we'll move on. But as we look at Minnesota bands, we just hit up on the one that, that I like the most. So this is off their debut album, Gear Daddy's debut album, uh, Let's Go Scare Al. She 
version done of She's Happy. Under the radar a little bit, a little bit of a kid brother band, not quite respected uh, for their punk ethic. They're more Springsteen than The Clash, though you might argue that there's a lot of crossover in The Boss and Joe Strummer, Uh, but they've aged well. Martin Zeller, uh, those are the gear daddies. Band out of St. Paul, Minnesota was uh, called The Honey Dogs. The Honey Dogs, great name, great name. What I Want was one of their early songs. Had that replacements, had that Husker Du, had that had that sound of themselves and some others. couple of brothers adam and noah levy they signed with mercury records major label debut was called cena ghost in 1997 they went on tour and opened for nxs when nxs was big still big 1997 uh, my first time that i ran into the the honey dogs uh, was when i was i was working at manchester college and was staff advisor for the for the student radio station there and in the summertime no students but we would whoever was around summer school guys and girls who wanted to still be on the radio me my buddy brad we'd all go up there and uh, do a couple hour show and we had a service that sent us new songs and on that uh, at the time they were cds they sent a cd and it had a song from the Honey Dogs on there. And, we, you know, we could play. It was a college radio station, right? We'd play whatever we wanted to play. And so I was playing the Americana, Roots Rock, American Rock. Some hits, but a lot of stuff. That I'm like, man, you, this is just good. You need to hear it. And this was one of those songs. We made love for hours in my head. I miss your laughing lips. I miss your eyes and hips. Do you miss me? Because I... Yeah, yeah. Takes me right back there to the studios of the great defunct WBKE. It, it, uh, it was on 89.5. They sold the station or sold the license. It doesn't exist anymore. Those, those are the Honey Dogs. They were um, dropped from their label as bands are, are, are all the time. He signed in 2000 with uh, Palm Records, had an album called Here's Luck. They became a little more Beatlesque and poppy as they got older, as they matured musically, as they changed music- musically, especially with the album albums that came later in their career, more Elvis Costello and even Squeeze, with a liberal use of that Squeeze-sounding organ in their music, even a little Dylan-ish, like a Rolling Stone-dish. They, they released an album called uh, Love and Cannibalism, it's got a muscle shoals, soul sound, British rock sound, guitars and horns, and that's worth that's worth checking out. One of their more recent releases was a song called Gaslight Face. 
that they put out in as a single in 2017. It's about time been waiting for a sign. Eleven albums from the Honey Dogs. Another of those bands that I don't know. Maybe you've heard of them. I was lucky to hear of them. Worth worth, uh, worth digging into your Spotify account, messing up your algorithm a little bit in a good way. Go find the Honey Dogs. See what I mean with that? That Dylan like a Rolling Stone, a little bit of a, a nod to that. Hey, a couple of bands that uh, didn't really break out of the scene but were big in Minneapolis, worth a mention just so that we can, we're not being completists, but worth talking about Run Westy Run, a band that recorded three albums, including one on Twin Tone Records, had a couple of EPs, a couple of singles. Their last full-length album that I could find was released in in 1990. Uh, There was a song, early song from... From them, Green Cat Island. Song called Starlight. It's Run Westy Run, name of the band. They were a punky Iggy, Iggy Popish, Iggy Poppy esque hard rock band. Mixed bag with their studio stuff. Peter Buck from R.E.M. helped produce one of them. Their reputation was was as a live band. Their enduring legacy of Run Westy Run. Largely uh, defined on the stage rather than in the studio. One of the most popular live acts in Minneapolis. After the replacements in Husker Du and Soul Asylum got a little bit bigger, they filled in that gap. They became the kings of the Minneapolis club scene. And uh, one more from them. Well, this is a little more, I don't know if it's mainstream, a little poppier, a little more accessible. Replacement-esque. Another band that... Uh, fell into that same bucket of of success which was uh, just enough to to be around and get some notoriety and get some pub and some a little bit of chart touching action trip shakespeare uh, mid 80s the band included dan wilson and john munson who later went on to be founding members of the band semisonic trip shakespeare was this band Minneapolis-based independent label Gark Records in 88 released Are You Shakespeareanced? that had a song on it called Two-Wheeler, Four-Wheeler. I came down to find a job in the town of Doomland. Ooh, two-wheeler, four-wheeler. I could move so they signed in 89 with A&M Records, had a couple major label uh, records that didn't sell the... the <laughs> The research that I found with their first record across the universe said it sold 33,000 copies. Their second one called Lulu sold 60,000 copies. A&M Records executives allegedly, from what I read, said Trip Shakespeare was too pop to catch on as an alternative band. I think 
the marketing of the band contributed to their lack of interest. They they seemed a little pretentious to listen to, but listening back to them, there was some magic there. Not necessarily with two wheeler, four wheeler, but if you listen to their catalog, just not as hardcore punkish as Husker Du, not as rootsy and accessible as a band like uh, the Bodines or even the Delph Wagos, Gear Daddies. But Trip Shakespeare, I just don't think was presented in a way. You know, how could they? I don't know. You know, how could they have been, how could it have been different for them? I don't know. Never know. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll, the podcast. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks for subscribing. And uh, if friends want to, uh, tell them, find us wherever you find your podcasts. Of course, Apple Podcast, iHeart, Radio Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher. Look us up at rockpopandroll.com. We've got all the information there from our social media links to the blog to all the old episodes, all the newer episodes. It's all there. So thanks for uh, checking us out. Golden Smog, Super Group, talk amongst yourselves. Go, have you heard of Golden Smog? <laughs> it's essentially a super group. I, I, I'm not a fan of the term super group, Asia. Uh, they were essentially a bunch of guys from the 80s and 90s scene in Minneapolis, St. Paul, 87, 1987, the story goes, the Golden Smog debuted as they were billed as the Take It to the Limit band, an Eagles cover show at a bar in Minneapolis. So this band, which formally got together in 89, included Dan Murphy and Dave Perner of both of Cell Asylum, uh, Jim Bolquist from Sunvolt, Martin Zeller with the Gear Daddies was playing with them. And they got together probably as a lark, probably around uh, a few cocktails. They created this little country and rock reaction to the punk and the hardcore scene. That was kind of, that was the, the, the main thing there in the Twin Cities at that time. They started playing local clubs. Gary Loris and Mark Perlman of the Jayhawks were in the band. Uh, a member of Run Westy Run, uh, Chris Mars, the replacements drummer was on there he was on they released a cd those guys were all in the band four albums and an ep no real radio airplay no hits but they were good it's ironic that these punk guys got into that sound that maybe they'd been rebelling against but not you know what they're playing is is um graham parsons uh the birds the rolling stones you know they're in that sound like our influences and sound like us state of mind Jeff Tweedy of Wilco was a rotating member of the band. And you can hear the Wilco influence here. So we can't, cannot get out of Minneapolis without talking about a band called Husker Du, Bob Mould and Husker Du. The Twin Cities, he said, the Twin Cities in the 80s is a special place for all us local musicians North Minneapolis R&B artists, the South Minneapolis guitar rock bands, 7th, Ave, or 7th Street Entry and 1st Avenue, the clubs where the bands played. Husker Du first gained a bit of a buzz as a hardcore punk band 
later morphing into what would be alternative rock. Grant Hart played drums, Greg Norton played bass, Bob Mould guitars and sang and keyboards. Grant Hart passed away in 2017 from cancer. Norton and Mould carry the flag. What's going on? It's off of Zen Arcade that came out in 1984. Double album, recorded in 45 hours, a cost of just over $3,000. That album expanded the audience, the band's audience, beyond their their punk community that was digging them at the time. The follow-up album was called New Day Rising. The next album, Flip Your Wig. This was back in the 84-85 time period. 86, they signed uh, their major label record deal to Warner Brothers Records. Warner Brothers Records. And uh, that's where they released their their two final studio albums. Candy Apple Gray was the first album for them to chart on the Billboard Top 200. Uh, they were on 120 minutes on MTV. A lot of exposure. I remember Husker Du on MTV more than I remember remember them anywhere else. But that couldn't get the album uh, high enough on. It didn't. You know, 140 was where it ended up on the Billboard Top 200. So it didn't equate 120 minutes and MTV success. In this case, did not equate to chart success uh, for a band. They released Warehouse. Songs and Stories, that one went up to uh, 117 on the charts, Um, but not, you know, again, not a hit. Bob Mould said that was the beginning of the end for the band. Foo Fighters' Dave Grohl does say of that 84 album, Zen Arcade, that album, he said, was amazing. He, I mean, Black Flag was early on, and then I discovered Zen Arcade and thought, God, these people write songs, man. It's amazing. It's like the birds meet Black Flag, Dave Grohl said. It blew him away. The band disbanded in 1988. Mould would uh, release some solo albums, formed the band Sugar back in the early uh, 1990s. Who's do? No, not really chart success, but that if if there was a band that was that went to the punk side of the of the looseness and the sloppiness that the replacements seemed to have a trademark on, though they really didn't. Who's do was that band that took that loose, rough punk rock sound and at least for a few years solidified their legacy as the band that was hardest, loudest, punkiest coming out of Minneapolis. This is rock, pop, and roll. The recording studio that Prince had, Paisley Park, Bob Mould recorded his some of his first solo album there, but I want to touch on Paisley Park quickly because it's important to know how this played into that melting pot of Minneapolis and Prince and the, and the rock and roll bands and how it all wouldn't have been what it was without all these pieces. Paisley Park hosted a lot of artists between 87 and 1996. They closed for about 10 years as Prince was having his, his fight 
with Warner Brothers Records. Remember, my name's not Prince anymore. It's a symbol. And going all through that uh, process, they closed it down and then opened it back up in 2004. The New York Times said at one point, big record companies send artists to Paisley Park to record a song or two in hope that Prince might wander by the session and contribute a song. (laughs) That's a... Got worth a try, right? And I'm sure at Paisley Park, it was a big building. It was, it was high tech. It was not like you're going to some dump. Uh, two recording studios, a rehearsal room that you could f- record whatever you wanted to there, a video editing suite, a big sound stage. Prince used the sound stage for all his tour rehearsals after 1988, and then there was the vault. The vault, the name commonly referred. To when you talked about that little room where Prince stored all his output, his masters, his live recordings, his films. So this was Paisley Park. Bands like Cool and the Gang, the Bee Gees, the Beastie Boys, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Neil Young, Barry Manilow, they all went there for their rehearsals. So it was it was rock and roll in uh, Minneapolis, all kinds of things in Minneapolis. 55,000 square foot uh, campus was Paisley Park. A lot of Minneapolis bands recorded there too. Uh, and it was Prince's home. So who knew? He might wander through there. The bands that recorded at Paisley Park, did you know R.E.M. did a lot of Out of Time? The, the album then had Losing My Religion on it. Soul Asylum recorded there. Warren Zevon, George Clinton, The Replacements cut some stuff there. It was a building, a studio that after radio stations changed, right? It, the, the playlist tightened. The internet had begun. Paisley Park became a place to gather big structure in a little suburb outside the Twin Cities where the rejoining of Prince and rock and roll took place. The plot of land where the day's great divergent types of music could be in one place, quite possibly draw, maybe, on each other and and their influences, weaving styles, artists, Prince. They all heard themselves on top 40 radio stations or hoped to or heard their bands that were on there And they may have not been playing something a whole lot different, but they took uh, part of whatever was out there for their own. And Paisley Park became this place where uh, you could grab onto something from another band who had been there or who you'd been listening to and slip that sound into your own music, just like Prince did back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, growing up in Minneapolis, just like those rock and roll kids did, slipping Prince into their music. He was simply the best all around musician, performer, composer, all rolled into one star, you know. It was good it was good for a little garage band like us to be around that occasionally to it added a little bit of sort of glitz and spark to our lives. He was around we we recorded and played at Paisley Park and he would be around and I think the the best thing was that he was comfortable enough when we were around for a while to allow us to see him in his sneakers and his jeans, he felt comfortable with us. He knew we were doing a different kind of thing, and he knew that we certainly weren't a threat to what he was doing. It's Paul Westerberg of The Replacements talking about Prince and, and his influences. Rock, pop, and roll. The sound of Minneapolis, Prince, and so much more as we wrap it up with a little... A little homage to, to Prince from the Gear Daddies. Believe it or not, I started to worry, wondering if I had enough class. But it was Saturday night, I guess I makes it all right, you say.
Thanks for listening to Rock, Pop, and Roll. Subscribe to Rock, Pop, and Roll on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a note. Leave a little review if you find a place to do that. You can always email us at rockpoprollpodcast at gmail.com. The sound of Minneapolis. Whatever it was. However it got to be what it got to be. It's pretty great. Thanks for listening. To head out, Bob Mould of Husker Du has some solo stuff that he's released. This is a recent one, 2020. We get on out with a song called When You Left. Bob Mould, still getting loud. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll. Be good to each other.